Well, thank you everyone for tuning in today, for registering, um, for uh, for being here, for caring enough to take an hour out of very busy schedules and a very busy time of year um, to, to learn and to listen. And for all of us trying to discern uh, as parents, as leaders, as citizens, certainly as pastors and church leaders, how, how, what is the best response right now? How are we called to live and lead and worship in light of everything going on um, with COVID and other things in our society? Uh, my name is Matt Holmeyer. I'm the assistant dean or an assistant dean at Truett Church, Truett Seminary, rather, at Baylor University, director of the Truett Church Network. I know we have many not in our network here that came from Dr. Smith's Facebook page, and we're glad you are here. Um, Truett is a uh, evangelical seminary in, in, in the Baptist tradition in Waco, Texas. Um, the Truett Church Network is an external facing office of our seminary that seeks to support, equip, and encourage pastors and their churches um, in everything they do. And so that we're thankful for our partnership with Emily and Dr. Smith um, to, to be able to help however we can. Um, Emily, Dr. Smith, does not need an introduction at this point. Many of you know her and don't know me or anyone else, but she's an assistant professor of epidemiology in the Department of Public Health, the Robbins College of Health and Human Sciences at Baylor University, an adjunct professor of global health, the Duke Global Health Institute. Um, but probably you all know her, most of us, as the friendly neighbor epidemiologist um, that has gone viral virtually on Facebook. Um, <laughs> and has provided such helpful information um, throughout COVID uh, for us. Emily, did you ever think being an epidemiologist would lead to like celebrity status? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's celebrity. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, we, we would get, um, people thought it was epidermis. So instead of <laughs> epidemics, so we know, people know what epidemiology is now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works for different yeah. seasons. Um, I want to introduce, we'll introduce, we'll bring them in in a little bit, in about 15 or 20 minutes, but we have two pastors joining us today, and we're keeping it very local today into the Waco area, because we're, so we can kind of have a common context to discuss that will be illustrative to all other contexts that are out there, but Dr. Ron English, Reverend Dr. Ron English joins us today. Ron is the pastor at Greater Bosqueville Baptist Church, just outside of Waco, Texas, where we all live. Uh, Reverend Terry Johnston is with us as well. Uh, they are Baylor, they're Truett grads, um, pastor at First Baptist McGregor. Um, they'll join us in a little bit just to help us think through some of what we're hearing and learning and just help us consider both from a, a, the research science perspective and a biblical theological perspective, how are we all being led to respond during this time? Um, so with, with no further introductions and ado, um, Emily, our, our subject is how do, we, how do we deal with this next COVID surge that we're really in, I think, right now? And, and I'll, I'll turn it over to you to share with us uh, what you have to share today. Okay, well, thank you. And um, I, I, I wish this could actually be in person to meet real life people that I've met on the Facebook page, um, Friendly Neighbor. Hopefully everybody still thinks I'm that after I get through talking about the data. <laughs> Um, but like Matt said, I'm an epidemiologist, a PhD in epi. Um, I'm also a pastor's wife. Um, we've been in ministry in some form or fashion for nearly 20 years now. At small churches, you know, 30 people with wooden pews to really big churches, uh, Texas to the Carolinas, and, and all in the Bible Belt. So I kind of, I wanted to give you that perspective of I... I understand what it means to be a pastor's family, you know, the balance of probably many voices that you're having uh, to balance right now, especially in the South. Um, I, and I also love, I love the local church. I grew up in a charismatic church, the Gospel Bill, um, and Salty, the singing songbook, somebody needs to bring Salty back. Um, but I've been to church all my life. Um, so I just want to give that context because when I started talking about the data and some of the issues that churches are facing, it can seem like it's uh, anti-church. Um, and I, I don't just, that's, that's just not my heart. So those are my disclaimers. Let me share my screen. Okay. One slide on what do we know about COVID? Um, I could spend, Five hours, I promise I'm not gonna do that, 
on what do we know about COVID so far? Uh, we know it is, it's a new virus. Um, it's a novel virus. And so no one has immunity to it. We also know that it is, it's more infectious than others. And so that, that middle th peak, we've all seen that, right? It, what that means is that I, if I get sick, I can infect more than one person. That is why the infectious rate are not as what you hear too um, in the science terms. That's why it is so infectious because it's not additional, right? One plus one plus one is much easier to manage than one to three to nine. And so this thing spreads very quickly, which is what we're seeing. And then at this point in the pandemic, there's no way to get around it. We, we know what it is, we know how it spreads, um, and we know how to keep it from spreading with mask and distancing. So I have, um, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories and uh, sneaky data manipulation to kind of debunk anything that I just said. It's just not true. Um, if you wanna go to my site, you can see where I debunk all of that, but, but we, for the sake of the presentation and for this surge, we really need to move um, beyond that. Another thing of why this matters in church is because by the time somebody starts feeling sick with symptoms, they've already had a chance to be contagious um, to others. And so in this graphic you're seeing on Wednesday, a person can start feeling sick with sniffles and you know sore throats, maybe allergies, you just don't know. But prior to that, two to three days prior to that, they are really contagious with the virus. They just don't know they have it yet. That matters when it comes to church. Um, it, it's not okay. It's not enough at this point to say, don't come if you're feeling sick, um, because we could have missed that window of that incubation period. Now, pivoting a little bit more to church, we've known since this thing started in March, which feels like years ago, doesn't it? That there are four main reasons of that increased risk. One is enclosed spaces, so that's the first E, being indoors. Two is exhalation, so like uh, singing, shouting, make a joyful noise, all of that. Uh, third is crowding, and then last is not distancing. So when you put all four of those together, those risks can compound on one another. Church is kind of prime for that, right? We sing, we shout, it's all good in pre-COVID time. During the COVID time, it makes it really risky. This is one of the first outbreaks that we saw in church where two people came to church of about 100 attendees. Of those, 35 got sick, three died. Then in the community, that led to 26 additional cases and one deaths. So do you see how it's multiplicative? Two had three, 35 cases, three deaths, 26 cases, and one, um, and one death. And so we, these stories are becoming more and more prevalent. We're just not talking about it as much for lots of different reasons. So now this third surge is what I wanna talk about and why I want to make the case that it is different in significant ways than the first two surges. You see the surge back in March and April. That was the first where it really hit uh, New York. And then we see the middle of the summertime where it hit uh, Texas, where I am, Arizona and Florida. So we kind of had whack-a-mole across the country. The problem with this third surge is it is now across the whole country. And so what that means is that you see that slope and that peak going up. That means that that's probably steeper. So October 28th, which is not too far uh, removed from us. We were averaging 74,000 cases a day, which was a 40% increase over two weeks. Fast forward 11 days, they were averaging 84,000 cases. You see that increase in cases and deaths bump up as well. And then fast forward 10 more days, we're now averaging 160,000 cases, an 80% change uh, in cases, 40% in deaths, and 50% in hospitalizations. So I just cannot overemphasize that this third wave is not like the first two that we have seen. The problem with this wave too is the steeper the slope that we're seeing that's continuing to climb, the longer it's gonna take to actually get to that peak. Do you remember that back in the summer when we were, when is this gonna peak? And we were weeks away to hang on. This peak is not estimated to be until 
uh, until January, mid-January, the steeper it gets and the longer that we delay actually getting it under control, um, the more it's gonna delay that peak. So it's just a different surge. Y'all have probably seen this tool by now. It's a risk assessment tool. I'll put it on my Facebook page. But you can go and play with the estimates of what you see on the left-hand side is an event size. So think about that of who's gonna be in your church. I set it as 100 people, um, uh, which is you know normal church for a, a lot of you. And then look below that, there's that ascertainment bias. What that indicates, it's a number of the positivity rate, essentially. It's how well are we doing our contact tracing and testing? And we know that if a positivity rate is high, we're not doing enough of either. So set it at 10. For most everybody in the country, you need to set it at 10. So for a church of 100, set at the high positivity rate, this is the risk of at least one person in the congregation coming to church sick with COVID either sick thinking it was allergies, sick being asymptomatic, which we know there's a, a strong, a large group that are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, they don't know they're sick yet. That's a lot of risk. I said it for bigger churches here, which is 500, same ascertainment bias and it just gets redder. I, I cannot, um, emphasize enough that this changes quickly. And so if you're using this to try to see, I wonder if, if in my county, if you can cover, hover over this map and actually see your county, if we can do Advent in three weeks, the slope of the rise in cases is so high that this is, it's changing where those type of planning mechanisms according to this tool um, are really risky. So I wanna talk about pivot for my last few slides here, uh, pivot to church. So at the beginning, there was a sense of solidarity. I don't know who Father Monk is. If anybody does, I, I want to meet him because he was doing these really fun things. Many of you guys were too, right? Jesus sat 5,000 down in rows, but not this one. So it made you laugh. We were doing outdoor neighborhood scavenger hunts with our kids. And, you know, it, it was a sense of solidarity. And then it something changed. And you guys saw it too. This is, I mean, we all saw it. Somehow it, it became political um, and then it became religious, kind of. So what I, I'm showing you here is some snapshots of uh, messages that I've, I've received. I've received a lot of them. The top one says, aren't we supposed to trust God and not live in fear? You clergy have heard this too, right? Um, I've won the battle. If I get to heaven, I don't fear that. I hope you would too. The bottom, it's disappointing to have someone encouraging churches and leaders and congregation to turn away people that believe differently about masking. The one place we should go with no judgment is church. It's shameful. This is not Christian. It's propaganda and fear by claiming they should wear it for others. Being a pastor's family, I, I understand that you guys are balancing these type of voices, especially in the South, with what you're hearing from the science as well. I put these two specifically on here because I know these people personally. This is not to shame anyone. It is to say that sometimes some of this comes from fringe church members, right, that don't show up all the time, but talk a lot about they don't like the color of the carpet or they don't like a certain hymn that is sung. Uh, you clergy know what I'm talking about on that. Uh, this, those type of rhetorics is now, are now being voiced uh, for COVID. And it matters because the carpet and him singing, you know, the carpet's not gonna kill people, but COVID can. And so to take it seriously in light of the wisdom of the science is what I'm hoping people will do. This next one are from people that I, I don't know them, but I receive them daily. You know, the site, the Facebook site's getting about 2 million people per month now. And while I'm thankful for that, it's also voicing, um, you know, some confusion about the virus. The one that you're seeing on the left-hand side is something that we received in our mailbox. Um, and you can see the smattering of the mark of the beast. There's revelation stuff they talk about. But then the 99% of people in the country that won't die, that's a conspiracy theory that's been debunked for months. But it's merged somehow with... Um, with talking about faith with this. 
and then some other ones, the same pastors making their congregation meet outside are those that will leave their flock in persecution and then, you know, name calling, look another self-righteous, not a bad word, failing miserably in an attempt to conflate face diapers with faith. Y'all hear this too. I just don't doubt it, especially if you are in certain parts of the country. So what is our response? As a, as a Christian and as an epidemiologist, my job is to define, especially as an epidemiologist, who are the vulnerable and do not walk by like the Good Samaritan. With this, we know that our neighbors, um, those that are vulnerable, our age, we know that the risk of hospitalization and death for COVID increases um, kind of substantially when you hit 50. It's not, uh, there's a theory out, a conspiracy theory out there that it's just 80 year olds and above. It's not, it's 50. Um, our other, we, um, we know that people with underlying health conditions are our neighbors. Uh, obesity and overweight and hypertension and asthma, diabetes. These are conditions a lot of us have. And then there's the third, that racial and ethnic minority groups are being hit disproportionately with this, um, dying 10 to 20 years earlier than white counterparts. There's also, if you also look at poverty, all, you know, COVID is the great equalizer. We are all susceptible to it. It is what happens after somebody gets it that matters. And to put that into context, someone like myself, who I live in suburbia, I have really good insurance. I have a small nest egg that if I get sick and I need to go to the ER, I can, I can risk that and pay for a high ER bill. As a counterpart, early on in the pandemic, I read um, an, an account of a 30-year-old mom with two kids just like me uh, living in a multi-generational house in South Texas. She caught COVID as an essential worker early in the pandemic. Um, and she slept in the closet because she didn't want to give it to her children and her mother. She had to make a decision. Uh, the story showed um, that she, you know, that she talked about. She had to make a decision of whether or not she was going to risk an ER bill or pay her children. This, the longer that we delay care, it's really hard to intervene. So who is our neighbors? Yes, it's age, it's underlying health conditions, but it is also an issue of, of poverty in the nation. I also saw this turn, and you have, y'all have two, on we need to have faith, not fear. You know, we're gonna stand on faith and come to church. We're not gonna do social distancing. And y'all, I grew up charismatic. I pray Psalm 91 every single day, you better believe it, of this pandemic. What is harmful about that to me is it reminds me of the story when Jesus was taken up on the temple and uh, Satan asked him to jump off, right? He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus and said, um, angels will take care of you. You won't hurt yourself. That's my, my paraphrase. Jesus knew the wisdom of putting that scripture in conjunction with other scriptures in the gospel. What I would love us to do as Christians is to juxtapose Psalm 91, faith over fear, believing in that blood of Jesus, all of it, with Galatians 5, that we are called to be free, but we don't let it be an indulgence, and we serve one another in love. The rest of that verse in 14 is the whole law can be summarized in that, <clears throat> that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. So what I'm asking is that we would see we can do both at the same time. We can do Psalm 91. We can do Galatians at the same time. Because this is what we are about to see in a good bit of the country, if you don't already. This is a story by Ed Young. He's a great science uh, writer. He wrote he wrote this article that no one is listening to us from the perspective of healthcare providers. We, when we talk about surge, it's happening. Um, hospitalizations are a two week delay after, uh, after cases. So we will see the brunt of, of this um, throughout the country where there are surges. But he's, he talked to a nurse in Iowa and she said, last Monday we had 25 patients waiting in the ER 
they had been admitted, but there's no one to take care of them. I asked her how much slack the system has left, and she said there's none. About a third of small clinics in rural areas, which I know many of you pastor in, and nursing facilities are completely out of at least one type of PPE. Many hospitals are on triple backup. At least 1,400 have died from COVID. One nurse who is an ICU nurse said she is packed with COVID patients. You get to the point when you realize that you've become a machine and shut down and there are only so many bags to zip. And I, I don't say that to be fear mongering. I don't tell these stories to be sensationalized because my job as epidemiology is, is not to look at the one, but the population. Uh, these are populations that many of you, if you haven't dealt with, then you will as a, a clergy. This, uh, these are tent hospitals that we have seen set up. The one on the left is in Lubbock where I have dear, dear family, um, Lubbock, Texas. And the one on the right is in California. I show both of these pictures because these are places where tent hospitals are going up, but at the same time, churches are still open and there are exemptions for masking um, with very little distancing happening. And I, and I, I know many of these churches, so this is not, um, this is not shaming. It's just trying to juxtapose. It does, does it make sense? to have our churches open with no masking when this is going up right down the road. And then last, I, I want to talk about this being an issue of witness. You know, I'm a, I'm a scientist, and so half of my friends are uh, people of faith. I'm a pastor's wife. And then half are in the science world, and typically those don't over, overlap a lot. Not all the time, but a lot they don't. What I'm hearing from my science friends is just this not understanding why there is not a better response from the Christian community when it comes to masks. I asked one, I asked a good friend, um, do you know that there are more Christians out there that wear a mask for our neighbors like Mike and I do? And she said, no. And I think I thought of this verse, if you speak in tongues of angels, if we have a food pantry, it's all good. If we're the site, a COVID testing site is good, or we have faith to move mountains, but we don't have love to our neighbors through a mask, which is just proven to be one of the most effective guards we have against this. Is this a clanging gong? So I wonder if we have an opportunity to witness and are we missing it? And then last, I'm gonna end with this on maybe, maybe some hope. I'm an eternal optimist of this surge is going to be bad, but there's a lot to be hopeful for. We can talk more about that with the vaccines and what's to come. We just need to get through the winter. What I would love for us to do is what if Christians led the way out of this? What if we had a kingdom mindset? Because many of us are in areas where, where churches are exempt. We have a choice whether or not we want to wear a mask. We have a choice whether or not social distancing protocols um, are put in place. And by wearing a mask, I mean at all times, not just walking in and out of the building. What I would love for us to do is to lift out of the, uh, maybe the state specific or national specific realm of those guidelines and think of ourselves like what we are as the big C church, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that we would set an example and leave the way out of this and just just choose to love our neighbors because I think I don't think I know people are um, are watching. So I'm hoping that people can look up um, and and take this seriously more than the other two surges. So thank you for having me. Let me unshare and then we'll open it up. Thank you, Emily or Dr. Smith. That uh, I feel like I've been to church a little bit. That was good. That was helpful. Um, and uh, certainly we, we hear and see your heart um, and am and, uh, uh, and, <laughs> sorry for, I guess it's not my role to apologize for others, but uh, some of the, the vitriol you've received, but I hope, I know as well, even looking at the comments today, there's been much encouragement and I hope that um, that buoys you in some of those more difficult moments. Um, Ron and Terry, would you guys uh, join us now? Um, Oh, Emily, we are just thankful um, for all that you've done and just untold amount of time you must have invested 
above and beyond your job and being a mom and a wife and all the many things you do in the community and your church um, to, to be public about some of this stuff, which we all know putting stuff on social media uh, is a, <laughs> is a bittersweet thing sometimes. So just thank you for blessing us and ministering to many of us through this. Um, we're joined by Dr. Ron English, uh, the pastor at um, Greater Bosqueville Baptist Church, just outside of Waco, and Reverend Terry Johnston in um, First Baptist McGregor, also just outside of Waco. Uh, friends, thank you for joining us and helping us think through some of these things. Um, you know, I guess just as a little bit of a, a clarifying statement of what we're going to do, we're not really going to get into the weeds of specific opening yeses and nos. We may have a couple of those answers, but there's like 350 something people on here right now uh, between Facebook and and um, this, and we just, we can't handle all of those. So we're going to handle on a little higher level, and we're really not going to get into the weeds of questioning the science. That's, we're, we're here sort of saying, we accept this, um, we see this as, as research-based and true, and it's now our task to take what's been presented as Christian leaders and Christian thought leaders and ministers, and think theologically, biblically then about how we respond. And, and we may come out at some different points, um, but we're not going to get into questioning what has been presented because we agree, and that's why we're here. Um, there's other places you can go for that. So Ron and Terry, would you share briefly kind of what your, in just a couple minutes, what your churches are, are where you are at right now and how you're responding and, and what, what you're listening to to make those decisions. Ron, would you lead us off? I'm sure. Um, let me uh, briefly thank uh, Dr. Smith again just for sharing her heart. Um, this is my third time um, uh, interacting with her through these same methods, uh, being on Zoom. And so I always enjoy hearing um, the information that she has to share and Actually, uh, the decisions that we've been making at our church are due largely into what she's been sharing. So um, through the Waco Regional Baptist Association, she's uh, been able to talk to, to us pastors about the things that are going on in making uh, uh, decisions within our church. And so uh, real quickly, I'm, I am the pastor at Greater Bosqueville Baptist Church. Um, we have not met in person uh, since we shut down uh, back in, in, I believe it was, I think it took us till about April. But once we shut down, we have not been back. Um, and um, so I've been doing my sermons on YouTube. I post them up on YouTube for my members and we do our Sunday school via Zoom and we do Bible study in the middle of the week during, you know, via Zoom again. And so, um, uh, quite frankly, the membership has kind of, uh, or the numbers on Sunday school and the numbers on Bible study have been dwindling uh, here of late. Um, and, you know, and I don't know if we want to get into those types of concerns, but um, uh, that is something I'm beginning to see. Um, and I also, um, you know, be, we're doing that because we're trying to make sure we're staying safe. Um, there was one push for me to try to get us back in church around the middle of October. And we were talking about this maybe end of August, early September. Um, but then we started seeing <laughs> numbers start rising again. And so we decided not to uh, come back together. And again, I think it was somewhere around that time too that I was able to hear from Dr. Smith. And um, yeah, we just said, no, <laughs> uh, we're not gonna do it yet. So we're gonna, we're gonna wait it out. Uh, and so we, we are, we're just praying we're praying for our nation. We're praying for our community. Uh, we're praying that this, you know, that something can be done, uh, vaccines, mask wearing, all of that, so that these numbers can go down because we hate to see the deaths go up and all of that. So we're just, we're praying, but that's kind of where we are at the moment. That's great, Ron. Thank you. Terry, what about you? Hey, yeah, thank you. And I'll, I echo Dr. English's uh, uh, thanks to Dr. Smith there. Thank you for your your presentation and your, your, your sound guidance and, and, and such, it's been a, it's been good to hear from you. It's been amazing to to take what you have learned and, and share that with others. That's been amazing to for, for us as well. Hey, at, at First Baptist McGregor, we're a, we're a smaller congregation. We have a a, a fairly decent sized sanctuary, um, and so we have been meeting. So we we did not meet from March until June, and then there was kind of that okay, we're going to go back to meeting. And so we started back in June, 
And then when that surge that you were talking about hit this summer, we went ahead and backed off again and didn't meet all the way from June all the way until I guess it was late August uh, before we, we re relaunched again. And, and part of that was, is we were trying to, um, uh, trying to figure out how we could match up more with our schools, our local schools, as the schools were starting back and try to try to mimic and, and partner along with them and see what they're doing. And we could be kind of the partners together in dialogue with them about the, the, the measures that they were taking as far as safety and then th that we could as well. And uh, so we are meeting in person. We are we are wearing masks from the time we enter the building. We don't take off masks. We don't handshake. We don't greet. Uh, we, we try to ask people to social uh, keep the distance. We haven't we haven't officially put the, the X's on the floors or anything like that. But we ask them in, in the sanctuary to, to, to space out. We're, we're, we're fortunate that we have a, a sanctuary large enough that folks can space out and sit. They keep their masks on during the service, uh, throughout the service. It, the platform folks do not. They, they go ahead and remove their mask uh, while they're leading or I, I don't wear one while I'm preaching. But but if but if I'm off the platform, my mask goes back on and, and it's the same way for everyone there. And um, so far, uh, as far as I know, no one has contracted COVID from our church service. I don't know that for uh, 100%. I know that we have had a few positive cases within our congregation but to my knowledge, none of them came from the church, if that makes any sense. They came from other places and they were not in attendance in the church when uh, even leading up to their diagnosis as well. Uh, and so that's kind of where we are. We're we're just we're constantly seeking out uh, information from 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 Dr. Smith. We're, we're looking and seeing what other pastors are doing, what other churches are doing, what like minded folks are doing, uh, reading as much as we can. And um, but I, I really appreciate your appeal to uh, the love for neighbor, because that's the that becomes the that's the that's the guiding principle by which uh, we are we're doing everything at First McGregor right now is uh, love for neighbor is why we do these things. We acknowledge that there is a frustration. You know, I, I get up there and I say, are you all ready to go and get these masks off? You know, I'm, I'm trying to be as and make it as as um encouraging as possible as they deal with the frustration because we all have frustrations. It is not the way we would like it to be. Um, but we, we say, I can do this for, for my neighbor because I love my neighbor and because I love uh, those sitting, you know, across the, the sanctuary from me, I can, I can wave at you and, and, and that'll be just as good as, as giving you a big old hug. Now I do miss hugging my little ladies. I really miss hugging my little ladies. That's become the, that might be the hardest thing out of this COVID uh, thing for me, uh, for sure. I, uh, I think it's bold that you allow, you encourage your people to space out at church. That would be, uh, you know, a risky thing, given my quality of preaching anyway. But uh, maybe to, to space distance, but not to space out completely. The uh, <laughs> I like that phrasing. Um, okay, a few things here. Um, I'm going to switch back to the gallery view. I'm trying to even think of where to jump in. There's so many good points to jump in. Um so, so I'm getting a bunch of questions on masks. And so, you know, I, I kind of feel like we, we've talked about this at so many points, but since we're getting a lot of questions, let's just let's answer it. COVID cases are surging, it, even in places where masks are required. Mm -hmm. How much of this, of the surge, uh, Emily, would be, um, you know, yeah. gatherings where we take our masks off or being spread when we're like at the grocery store or things wearing masks? So is it really being spread even when masks are required or is most of the spread in, in social gatherings, other gatherings where we decide to take our masks off? Could you respond to that? Because I think that is on the heart of a lot of people. Yes, because we're like Terry said, we, we're just tired of masks. I get, I'm an epidemiologist and I get that. <laughs> I am too. Uh, there's a couple of things there. One of them, you have to wear it correctly. Right. And we all know that we all see people at the grocery store with the mask hanging right here. That's not wearing it, wearing it under your nose. you got to pull it up. Uh, we have good science showing that one of the best protective measures is actually wearing, wearing your mask. Uh, so, so that's one issue is wearing it correctly, washing it correctly. Uh, and I have all that on my site too, with the nitty gritty of the weeds. Um, I think when it comes to mask a month ago, two months ago, talking about, about masks is different than it is right now. Um, because the, the baseline should be, we just wear it all the time. 
uh, because the transmission rates, the positivity rates are so high. We do know, I heard Dr. Fauci say that there are, um, this surge is uh, contributed to indoor small gatherings like weddings and birthday parties, dinners, you know, family get togethers, unfortunately are becoming super spreaders. That's why Thanksgiving is, we can talk about Thanksgiving, but um, it, it's just scary for, uh, frankly, from an epidemiology standpoint. So it is being spread by that. The problem, those small gatherings for a lot of churches in the U.S., church is a small gathering. Uh, Sunday school life groups of uh, 10 people meeting together, even though you're socially distanced, if you're in an enclosed room, that risk is high, especially with the positivity rates. And, you know, there's a misconception that if you are socially distanced, but you are in an enclosed room together, that you're safe. And that's not the case. If you sneeze, those are big droplets, right? They're gonna fall to the ground. The small ones that you cannot see will circulate in the air and can actually travel quite far. Um, so masking is just important anytime you're in an enclosed building. So, you know, this is not about keeping, um, I heard, I, I got an email this morning that I sent or I printed off, why are you saying to keep casinos, bars, and strip clubs open, but churches cannot be, right? That's, that is missing, that's missing the point of masking. It's not about one or the other. It is doing our part. And so a month ago, we could have been a little bit more willy-nilly on if you want to wear one, if you feel comfortable about it. But at this point with this surge, it just needs to be 100% masking all the time, not walking in and out of the building, but all the time. Um, the, the Institute for Health Metric and Evaluation, IHME, is a good place to go where they actually model out if people wear masks, what will that do in terms of cases and deaths? If we let go and be a little bit more willy-nilly about wearing them or not wearing them, uh, that difference between now and January is 60,000 deaths. So they make, make a difference. Um, I do also want to say that if you want to look at the science about all of this, I could bore you to death for hours. <laughs> now is not the time to get lost in the weeds of that. You know, what if we reduce 50% in our indoor life group and half of them wear masks? What if the nursery workers half wear masks and you space out all the kids? That's getting lost in the weeds in this third surge. And the more proactive we can be, um, the better, because it's just about to whammy, you know, a good portion of us. I don't know if I answered that at all. It's just wear a mask no, <laughs> and wear did. it correctly. And it, it's just been an interesting thing. I think a lot of us have found of people saying, well, it, it didn't work. You're like, well, it right. didn't delete the virus. Like it's not going to go away, but it did go way down when we were able to do that. And, and that, that gets tricky. And um, it does, it does work. That's, that's the misconception. There's false realities, it feels like, because if you go to certain places in town, there's no masking happening. You go to other places and there's full masking. So it kind of depends on where you go. Yeah. Depends on, you know, who, who you listen to. Um, on the, the false reality that we see of if they work or if they don't work. They work, there's just mounds and mounds of scientific evidence that they work. So you cited one, uh, one case of a church um, that had a, um, you know, someone there, no masks and it spread, I can't remember the specific numbers, but it spread significantly. But, but you know, we also have, I mean, several just institutional, not just church, but Baylor, for instance. I mean, I think most of us thought three weeks in, this is never going to be contained. And you've got thousands of students living in dorms, worshiping with masks, social distance, and it's been okay. Hasn't been perfect, but it hasn't been what we thought. My elementary school daughter, I thought, oh, there's, I can't get her to do anything. You know, how are they going to get 300 of them to keep their masks on? And there's been cases, but it, it's still, it's been better than expected. Now it's going up right now. So that, but it's lasted longer. Um, so, so to church, how, how much of the spread is church? Um, and, or maybe I'm trying to, so let's just say there's a congress, sanctuary seats, a couple hundred, you've got 25 to 30%. So 50 to 70 or so people there. 
social distance, mask, kind of like Terry's church, where you're meeting, but you really are doing everything you can. You're not shaking, and everyone's wearing masks. You may have a singer from the stage, but limited or no congregational singing. You're keeping it to 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Yeah. What is the risk of transmission there? I mean, I'm, I know it's hard to lay odds. That's not what, but if we, if we do this, even in a congregational setting and abide the rules um, or the best practices, what, what is the risk? What are we looking at there? I'm so glad you asked that question. I had it written in big letters. <laughs> uh, my job right here on my notes. My goal is not to shut down church. <clears throat> Everybody Zoom and shut down Zoom too. That's, that's not the goal. Um, and I do, I, I get emails from, you know, the full spectrum of some like Terry's church who are, are meeting indoors and they're wearing masks. Um, we go to a church where they're meeting fully outside with mask and social distancing, but then you have churches on the opposite end where it's, it's full blown packed singing orchestra and no mask inside. Uh, so we need to just kind of lay that groundwork that there's everybody represented. If you are like Terry and you're meeting um, indoors and everybody is wearing a mask, uh, you're socially distancing, you're not hugging, God bless you. I'm right there with you. I want to do that again. <laughs> I feel your brother. Um, and you take it off while you preach. You know, there's, there's a little bit of a risk for that. Uh, we've been in this for a long time. I, I just understand that. So, you know, some preachers are wearing face masks and others are just taking it off. The, that risk is, is low um, compared to the full blown open and singing an orchestra. The risk is even lower when you go outside. Um, and, you know, we're just, we are fortunate to live in Texas where we can do that. Many of the country cannot. So you, I think with this surge, the baseline needs to be mask at all times. Um, if you choose as the clergy to take it off and your singers, you know, you, you reduce worship, your worship team from five to two and they take theirs off. There is still a risk there, but it's much lower than if everybody is unmasked. So I, I know you have to weigh those type of things. Um, yeah. That's helpful. And that's I mean, this is why we we need research scientists and scientists giving us the best data. And then everyone has to think about that and, and process that themselves. And of course, where it gets really tricky, we've had a couple of questions come in of how do I deal with my family at Thanksgiving, right? And that that's probably a matter for your pastor to talk about. I don't know if we have, because it's all so many things. We've had to cancel our Thanksgiving gathering and I'm heartbroken over it. Um, and, and that wasn't my decision. You know, I, I may not quite have done it the same way, but um, there, again, so many things we could get into. So let's, let me ask Terry and Ron. Uh, Ron, so how are you engaging those? Um, some, I'm sure, that want to come back and others that don't. I mean, how are you being a pastor to them and managing that anxiety? Because largely, I think that's what we're dealing with, right, is anxiety of, of the what ifs, positive and negative. How are you doing that? And then maybe I'll come to Terry on how are you encouraging, how are you enforcing masks? How are you doing that carefully and compassionately? Um, I'm, I'm glad you asked me about the engagement because um, just a couple of things. Um, because I'm taping uh, a, a lot or recording myself, shall I say, um, my crew for recording is my kids. So I live with them. Uh, they, we don't have to wear masks when we do that. Um, however, uh, there are times though, we, have a, we do have a music minister, we have a musician and so we will call them in sometimes and a, and a few singers um, that will come and we'll record them as they're singing. Um, and so, but when we do that, uh, the musicians actually never take their mask off. Our worship leaders space themselves out um, and then they, technically they're supposed to sing kind of away from one another, right? So they're not turning their backs to one another but they're kind of angled a little bit differently to try to make sure that even though they're more than six feet apart, they're not, you know, we're trying to reduce the chances of the, the you know, the, the spread of anything in the church. And so that's, that's one way where we're coming in the church, but then the engagement happens actually with me spending a lot of gas money um, because <laughs> I, uh, there are excuses that we have 
for going to visit our members. And mostly it sometimes it's go to take them a meal or maybe we've got uh, something, some cards or something that we bought that we're taking out to our members. Um, we do uh, every first Sunday, we do a drive-by communion service out in the parking lot. And so um, I, I do my Sunday school, Zoom Sunday school. And then as soon as I get off, I go and get all of the elements and we stand out in the parking lot and wait for people to drive up. And we serve, you know, we do communion outside. And of course, um, I'm masked as I'm handing them the elements inside. They never get out the car, um, uh, but they get out, you know, they, they get the elements and then I'll back up and then we take, you know, we take, well, they actually take the mask off so that they can take the element. I don't take the uh, communion over and over and over again with everybody. <laughs> So I don't, I don't need, uh, but I do, uh, there have been times, however, where we did have, um, where some, where a lot of people kind of showed up at the same time. Um, and uh, so then we kind of got out, of, we had kind of an outside uh, communion service uh, with multiple people, but again, masks were worn, social distance to take them off real quickly and do the communion. But I am spending a lot of gas um, to stay in touch with my members, uh, phone calls, text messages, things like that are ways that we're trying to stay engaged. That's great, thank you. That's good ministry. It's funny, and we've talked about this multiple times in our webinars, but even as COVID has forced us into new technological realms, it's forced us back to analog ways, many of us of, of ministering of cards and calls and gas and you know burning rubber, so to speak, uh, to, to be physically with our people, which I think that's a, potentially some good things to re recover and rediscover. But Terry? The question about how do we get everyone to wear masks, is that your yes, question? how are you doing that as, as gently but as firmly <laughs> as possible? There you go, gently and firmly. That's that's the best way to put it. Uh, no, we communicate that ahead of, ahead of time. Uh, we don't have signs on the doors like you see in just about every business or anywhere that you go in these days. We don't, we have not done that, but Everyone who walks in the door has a mask. They'll, the first person they see will have a mask on. Um, we've, I've just bought a few of, of the boxes of masks from folks, and we, we keep them available in case somebody walks in and they forgot their mask. We say, we got one right here for you, you know, and then they can put it on right away. Um, that's a love for neighbor kind of thing right there that we're, we're practicing to just try to provide that for folks. Um, but but, so, but, but here, here's what I've learned in, in 20 years of ministry and just in life in general is if you ask for grace, most people will give you grace. And if you ask for it in a, in a way that is, um, you know, uh, it, we're doing this because we love one another. We, we're doing this because we want to take care of everybody and do everything that we can. It may not be comfortable. It may not be uh, what we want. But just for the sake of the gathering time today, will you wear a mask? And so far, no one has challenged me on that to my face. Thankfully, I have had some emails and some some phone calls about why they won't come if they have to wear a mask, why they won't be a part of anything. And I, I say I appreciate your, your opinion on that. But here's how we're going to do it. And this is this is the best way uh, to make sure that everyone um, uh, is, is safe because we want to do it as best because the next option is to go back fully online. And most people would rather see someone across the sanctuary than to not see them. Uh, than to watch me on a, on a YouTube screen. I mean, that's that's kind of how when we were doing it before. Most people would much rather that option. And so they'll they'll put the mask on because an hour a week to sit in a congregation or less than we, we've, that's one thing, other thing we've done is we've shortened our service more to like 45 minutes uh, to, to accommodate that. Uh, to do that is not much to ask. And you just ask for that grace and most people are gonna, are gonna give it to you. I did wanna echo it, talk about the platform, how I said I took off my mask. No one sits down front at our church. So I'm at least like 25 feet from anybody whenever I get up to preach. I'm way up above and nobody's down there below me. So I'm, I'm like on an island all by myself when I'm up there, so. That's a joke of back row Baptist, right? None of the Baptists sit in the front. We all sit in the back. I'm sure that's not just a Baptist life. Emily, did you have something to jump in there? Yeah, I, I wanted to give some encouragement as a pastor's family, because like I said, I, I just understand you're balancing 10 different voices saying 10 different things. I, I goodness me, I get that. And so you're having to toe the line, right? You have to toe the middle line of what do you and and this is really a month ago when it wasn't too bad um, here in Texas. 
towing the line today should look different than towing the line a month ago because of this surge and this ramping up the 80% in cases, two week surge is gonna be hospitalization, three week surge is gonna be deaths. And so I, I understand that towing the line of making masks mandatory when um, a lot of, of you clergy have not been able to do that because of towing the line, especially here in the South, I, I get that. Towing the line though right now needs to shift to a different perspective according to what we see in the data. Um, and I've talked to everybody I know of, am I over-exaggerating this? And they have said, no, I've checked every metric online. You know, those US maps we see that keep getting redder and redder and redder, right? They all say the same thing. And so I understand the sentiment of towing the line and trying to keep everybody happy. That, that line needs to shift significantly in what is mandatory. And I know what cost that's going to come at, but I just wanna encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage that this is not forever. I mentioned very briefly about vaccines. It's probably a whole other conversation. The pipeline to get vaccines through safely and effectively is really, really rigorous. They, this is not um, pushed too quickly. I will get one whenever I can. I trust if Dr. Fauci says or others, um, you know, working in that say to get it, to get it. So we are so close to relief. And I, so if we can just hold on and make some hard decisions right now, it will pay off um, in dividends. And that's where I think the church can really come in and lead the way. Um, Cause I think people outside of the church are, are seeing what is being said you know, within a church about, about masking and the myths around it. So I, I, I see the comments, bless you. I know all of these of, can we meet at 10 or 50 people and all of that in between. We're about to hit an, a time in COVID through most of the country where that's not really the question anymore because cases are just ramping up. So I just, I just wanted to, to give that a little bit of encouragement and then shift the line of what's mandatory or not. That's so helpful. And I'm glad you mentioned vaccines. I was going to ask you to talk a bit about that. And, and I think that's, I mean, we have two gears, right, with hope on the horizon. I mean, right there, either you say, well, it's, it's about here. We don't have to worry about this. Or you have that last strength to say, we can buckle down for a couple more months. Uh, my grandparents are in a nursing home. We haven't been able to see them physically in nine. I mean, for all of us to say, for these little things, we can buckle down. Um, and it is, as pastors, it, it isn't about, right, making people happy or unhappy. Um, it is about being prophetic and pastoral in, in equal measure. And how do we hold people, uh, call us to a level of discipleship and obedience to Jesus and witness to the world and ask the deeper questions of discipleship beyond just, do we feel good about this? That's what I thought, or, or do we agree with this? That's what I thought your, uh, slides about witness were so powerful because so so many of of our response has been about um personal liberties and freedom and you know you won't you won't tread on me you're not going to make me do something um and, and faithfulness is almost equated with standing up for our rights when the witness of jesus is so inverse to that at least as i read it it is about god coming to earth and, and his son coming to earth and pouring himself out for humanity, giving up his rights to call us sons and daughters of God. It is about foot washing, being the symbol of leadership. It is about all of these of us giving up our rights and freedoms for the sake of another so that Christ might be glorified. Um, and what a powerful opportunity for, for hospitality and witness in our neighborhoods and our churches if we can flip that narrative and, and puncture anxiety remain non-anxious in the face of criticism and, and lead us to that. It, it feels like there's opportunity for the church to, to the kingdom of God to deepen and expand in this. Right. Um, okay. And I, just where y'all are seeing positive witness. Yeah. Emily, go ahead. I think I, and yes, amen to all of that. I, I think those of us in the, the Bible belt or in a Bible bubble, um, it's hard to understand the, the opportunity for the witness that we have right now. And I have 
both feet in the faith world and in the science world. And I, I just cannot, I just guarantee they're watching us and what an opportunity to see the harvest. But if we don't pivot and change, what are they seeing and what are they hearing? Um, so I, that is my great, great hope is that we would, I mean, it's almost like the walk to Emmaus, right? Of, oh my gosh, where our heart's not burning within us. I think we have an opportunity to do that. To do that means we proactively act where it looks like we're over-exaggerating, but time will tell we weren't. We were actually caring for our neighbor. That's a great word. You know, I know we're about out of time. We could go on and on, which all of these conversations are so engaging. Would either of you have just a, a final last word or insights or encouragement to offer all three of you or, or one of you? I, I guess um, the one thing I, I've been kind of burning in my heart during all of this is um, I think as we talk about opportunity and we talk about ways to um, really show the world that we care, um, I think as uh, if, if, if there are pastors on here uh, we've got to be praying for what our church is going to look like when we do get back together. Um, I am very aware that mine will look very different. Um, there are, I've, I've had elderly people uh, in the church that, uh, that, that, that may not be back. Um, not because, not because COVID, you know, took them on home to glory, uh, but because the habits of being in church, I think is going to be so kind of new. And I think this is a time where we can, um, as pastors begin to pray and ask God uh, to glorify himself uh, when we are able to come back uh, so that we are able uh, to catch those where the, because the Bible says harvest is plenty, the workers are few. And, and so this is a time I think where we can begin to pray and get ready for uh, what's on the other side of all of this. Good word. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> yeah, my, my only word would be, you know, like with any crises, uh, yeah, you've I've, I always go back to this. It's only real if it happens to me or someone I know and someone I love. And all it takes is one that will cause us to completely change our, our, our perspective, our point of view. And we can develop all the bad habits in the world, but if we're not making love our love for neighbor, the, the, the driving force behind our witness for folks, then, then, you know, it just takes one. And I don't want it to be real because I don't want it to happen to me or someone I love. So that's, that's why I, I, I get, I get on it about it. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Emily, any final word from you? Oh, no, just what, uh, what an encouragement and an opportunity. Um, I, I know we're all a group of Christians and faith and there's congregants on here. Can I just pray us out, Matt? Certainly. Yeah. And I would say just before you pray, we're thankful for you. You can be both my pastor and my epidemiologist anytime. <laughs> um, and, and a word of encouragement to you, pastors, leaders, you know, those deciding about family things, give yourself some grace. We don't all have to come down on exactly the same point of this stuff. As Ron, as Ron has said, we can be praying for one another. And, and I think the question maybe it comes down for me is what, what is God trying to teach us? Uh, what, what opportunities for gospel ministry in each of our different settings, different denominations, different geographies, urban, rural, black, white. I mean, we all have our context and there's opportunities there in the midst of COVID that are being presented um, that, that get me somewhat excited about this, even in the midst of the frustration and devastation. So as a final, my word, be encouraged. And Emily, please pray for us. Thanks everybody for tuning in as we pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you are with us always transcending over denomination, uh, wherever we are in the world, God transcending over fear and anxiety, Father, that you call us the royal priesthood and a holy nation, God, that you are our provider and you are a healer, Father, that you, you see, Father, the fear and anxieties um, of COVID. So, Father, I just want to ask for a blessing on people that 
that are listening, Father, that you would you would let us see and not miss when you're walking with us. God, that we would see that there is a harvest, that there is an opportunity to show people your love in an unprecedented way. God, I want to pray specifically for the pastors and their sweet families. Lord, you know that they are making hard decisions, and I just ask that you'd give them encouragement, Father, as they stand with, with people in a really hard time. I want to pray for people that have lost family members that are listening to COVID or are dealing with, um, with the sickness of it. Father, I pray that you would just pour a blessing onto them of, of only your encouragement. And God, we pray for these healthcare workers. God, we ask that you would, you would bolster, you sustain, that we as a church would be able to, to love and protect and provide for them as well. So Father, I'm hopeful about the church, the Big C Church. I'm hopeful about your group of people, God, that you have collected across the nation. And so, Father, just make us your own and let us, let us see, God, the harvest that is in front of us and to be encouraged in the middle of it. It's in your name. Amen. Thanks, friends. I appreciate each of you so much for your ministries and friendship. We'll see you soon. Have a great day, everybody.